Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. All right, good people. Good to be back with you. Uh, behind the pulpit last week, we had our friend Charlie Campbell with us. Uh, just a really good, encouraging time. Would you agree for those that were here? Uh, okay, six of you. Um, but I was blessed uh, by Charlie. And then two weeks ago, I was on the mission project uh, into the prison. So uh, we didn't tell you much about it, but what a great ministry. It's just an incredible ministry. And, and typically you get people that like the sport that you're going to play. And so for me to be able to go and play softball and then just freely talk with whoever came in my sphere, uh, I think that's Yiddish, uh, it was just really, really cool. Uh, so I was just so incredibly blessed. Uh, some of you may have heard about the knifing in the outfield. Uh, maybe you didn't. Uh, based on your response, uh, there was a knifing in the outfield while we were uh, preaching, uh, and it was actually pretty cool, uh, be- not, not for the guy who got knifed, um, but it was cool just to see the level of respect from both the guards and the 100 and 200 people that were sitting in the stands listening to us preach that the chaos that was you know, uh, about to ensue and the guys with the guns and all that, the police officers coming out and all that, that they would stay focused to hear the message. And then as soon as the message was finished, they said, all right, you guys got to get out of here. The police did. And so they're, they're rushing us out of there and men running up to us, giving us their contact information so that we can continue dialoguing with them. It was just clear that God's Holy Spirit was present in those instances. So we were delighted about that. Um, and that was a crazy situation. We weren't even supposed to go in that prison because there had been two stabbings that morning in the mess hall. Uh, but be- and I believe this, because of the respect, ultimately for the Lord, I think you can look at it two different ways. Like one is the spiritual. God wanted us to go in and to do what we were going to do. I think also the practical, because of the respect that ministry has in that prison, they wanted to do everything they could to get us into that prison, uh, they being the, uh, the administrators. And so... Uh, we got to go in and do what we did, and, and uh, it was really, really good. So lots of guys went. You, uh, you saw them a couple of weeks ago. Pull them aside. Ask them to share their favorite story. Uh, that was one of mine. All right. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 2. Let me pray for us. Father, it's good to be back a- together again uh, in this book. We've been blessed by it so far. And, Lord, uh, I feel we are an incredibly privileged people to be able to sit with the, the eternal word of the eternal God as you seek to communicate to us the wisdom from heaven. Uh, As that book says, wisdom from heaven or laws from heaven for life here on earth. And and so, Lord, we we are privileged to be able to sit under it. So we do ask that you administer to us as I've been praying before. Lord, you would challenge us in ways where our thinking needs to change and be modified, uh, where we've been sort of doing our own thing for so long And now you would have us uh, walk in your ways and according to your wisdom. And so bless this time as we dig in now to Proverbs uh, chapter 2. We pray. Amen. Proverbs 2. This is our third study now. We did a couple in chapter 1. The first study we did was called The Way of Wisdom. The second study was called Wisdom Beckons. And today we are looking at a study that is entitled Wisdom Protects Your Path. Wisdom Protects Your Path. Throughout the scripture, 
as you make your way you know, through the Bible, one of the things that you will be, notice that the Scripture does is metaphorically it describes your relationship with God, your daily interaction with God. It describes it using terms like your walk with God or the, the, way, the paths of God, or, or terms like that, phrases like that. And in the book of Proverbs, over 100 times, words like path or way or forms of those types of words are used. And so it's a good metaphor to describe the journey that we are on from the day that we come to know Christ, and even before we come to know Christ, the journey that he takes us on until he brings us to heaven. And you recall that Proverbs is a book that is Solomon's effort to speak to his son, to influence his son about the life his son is going to create for himself. And the life that his son is going to create for himself is based on the choices that he makes, the paths that he goes down on, the ways that he goes in his life. So catch that, and I think it's important. The wisdom that we can glean from this book can serve to impact the life each of us are creating for ourselves. Your choice to heed the words of this book and your life go in a particular direction based on how you respond to this book and certainly all of God's ways. At the same time, if you choose to ignore them, your life will go in a different direction. Does that make sense? So you have a choice over here to go in the directions that God would have for you, and you have a choice over there to go in a different direction. And your response to the words from this book will determine what sort of life you are building for yourself. Now, over the next three chapters of our study, they're all written pretty much with the same purpose of emphasizing the blessing of people that are enjoying a walk in the path of wisdom. And so chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. This week, as I said, we're going to consider how wisdom protects your path. In subsequent weeks, we're going to consider how wisdom will direct your path and then how ultimately it will perfect your path. And we'll spend some time talking about each of them. So let's look at this. First off, notice in chapter 22, turn to the end of that chapter. You'll notice that there are 22 verses in this chapter. That's interesting, I think, for a variety of reasons. One is there are 22 verses in the Hebrew alphabet. And so it's more than just a coincidence that there's 22 verses in this chapter and there's 22 verses in the alphabet because it's something I don't think we can pick it up in the English, but in the Hebrew, each verse begins with a, a, I forget the word, but the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So to put it into English, verse 1 would begin with the letter A. And then verse 2 would begin with the letter B, and verse 3 the letter C, and so on. And it does that through the 22 uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And there's a reason for that. That's a mnemonic device designed to help Solomon's son learn what is in chapter 2. And it's it's a memory device, or it would serve as a memory device in our minds as well. There, In early American history, there was something that was called the New England Primer. And the New England Primer was designed to teach children ultimately how to read, but at the same time in teaching them how to read, it would teach them their Bible as well, so they'd be able to learn their Bible. And the New England Primer, it begins, A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. B, this book attend, thy life to mend. And it just makes its way through. And so you're learning both your letters to the alphabet, but you're also learning about the Scripture because they wanted their kids to know both of those things. Ultimately, their goal in having kids read was so that they could read and know the Bible for themselves, the, New Eng- uh, the Puritans in the New England area. God wants us to know these things. 
And so by putting this in this mnemonic device or Solomon putting it in this memory device for his son, it's so that every effort can be given that he will know these things. The wisdom of God is not some secret, unattainable, or some knowledge that only a select few will get. And again, you, you look at some religions and you've got to hike yourself up to the top of some mountain and find some guru and sit in his presence in order to get the secret knowledge. That's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, the scripture makes clear, is near to us. You see very clearly in the scripture that God desires that each of us would possess it. And he puts it out there so that each of us can take hold of it. And so it's right there for us. And I think that's the significance of the 22 verses in this chapter. Now, look at chapter 1, verse 32. Last verse or so of this particular chapter. You see that Solomon ends chapter 1 by foretelling of the destruction of the obstinate. And so he says this, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. So the one that turns away from the way of wisdom, the end is destruction. The end thereof is death. That's the theme, if you will, or at least the closing of chapter 1. Here now in chapter 2, Solomon's going to turn his attention not to someone that is obstinate and turns away from these words, but to someone that will receive these words and put them into practice. And so he's changing his direction. Now he's going to teach the one that will be taught. And years earlier, thousand or so years before this, Job once asked the question of where wisdom is to be found. Job chapter 28 says, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? And then he asks a few more little questions there. And then about five verses after that, 10 verses after that, Job says this, and he gives a pretty general response. Where is wisdom to be found? His response is essentially it's to be found with God. Now that's true, certainly so, but what Solomon will do now here in this particular chapter in Proverbs is Solomon will tell us it's not only with God, but here's how it's received from God. And he digs into that in these particular verses, particularly the first five, how might we obtain wisdom? And so if you came to me and said, how might I obtain wisdom? And I said to you, go to God. Well, that's helpful. That'll get you there. But Solomon's going to take us a little bit deeper in now what do I do when I come into God's presence? What should I ask him? How shall I respond? And so on and so forth. And so let me read these. Verse 1. He says, My son, if you receive my words and you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. These are the conditions for receiving the wisdom of God here in these first four or five verses. And as we move into verses 6 and following, we find out the benefits for having received the wisdom of God. But beginning in verse 1 here, we're given 7 or 8, depending on how you look at it, imperatives for receiving the wisdom of God from the Word of God. And I'm going to run through them quickly, then go back and talk about them. Number 1 is found in verse 1. We have to receive God's Word. That means we have to accept God's Word as God's Word. Number 2 is that we have to treasure up His Word in our hearts. Number three is make ourselves attentive to it, to God's word. And then number four is apply our heart to God's word. 
first four things. I said there's seven or eight, depending on how you number them. The fifth one then, he instructs his son to call out for insight. I'm going to go over all of these in great detail, those of you that are feverishly writing. I see you over there, and I feel bad for you. Um, but I'll go back over all of them. Sixth one is lift up your voice for understanding. And then finally, the seventh and eighth one is to seek for wisdom like, a pre- like it's precious silver and to search for it as if it's hidden treasures, which is essentially the same thing. That's why I'm saying seven or eight different things. You do those seven things. Notice verse one says, if you do these things, receive my words, treasure them up, and so on. Look down uh, to verse five. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. It's a formula. If you do these things, then you will discover these things. That's a pretty good promise, don't you think? And it's a good promise. It's a great promise from a very reliable source. A source that you can take, you can take that promise to the bank because you know you'll receive it. And so with that, let's go back and look at the imperatives. The first one, again, is my son, if you receive my words. Now, the wisdom that Solomon is dispensing is not just Solomon's dis- wisdom. It's wisdom that was given to him by God. So we're talking about the wisdom of the word of God. And so the first imperative for anyone that is seeking to walk in the way of wisdom, the first imperative is to receive the words of instruction, ultimately to receive the word of God. Now, you're probably like me. You've been in circumstances where know-it-all type people, they come and they want to share their wisdom with you. And you've probably been in circumstances where a person that you have very little respect for comes to you and they want to share with you their wisdom. Well, what's your response when a person that you have very little respect for, particularly very little respect for the particular topic that they're talking about, what's your response when that person comes to give you some wisdom? If you're a Christian, you probably, (laughs) you smile, you nod, you thanks. But the reality, if you're not a Christian, you probably tell them off or something like that. But the reality is this, you're not ready to receive anything from them because you have no respect for that person. And so you either smile nicely and give them a head nod or you blow it off. And when we have no respect for something, we're not going to want to receive anything from that person or that particular thing. And so Solomon begins with by saying, if you want to be wise in the ways of God, then you have to be prepared to receive the word of God. And Matthew Henry, the commentator from the 1700s, he said, not only receive it, but receive it and bid it welcome. I'm ready to receive what you have for me in the word of God. I think too often in our society, we are very eager to receive the wisdom of the latest talk show. We're very eager to receive the latest best-selling books, words of wisdom, or that which our colleagues or our friends have to say in our communities or our place of business, but we're reluctant to come to the Word of God ready to receive the insight that it has for us. I was recently told a story about Damien Kyle, a pastor that many of us respect, and Damien was in a counseling-type situation, and some people came, and he was kind of saying, well, this is what the Word of God says on it, about that, and the response was, yeah, but, and then he's came at another angle. Well, the Word of God addresses that this way. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but, and the person just kept saying, but. And finally, Damien said, all right, look, I'm giving you the counsel from the Word of God. It seems like you know more than the Word of God, so I don't know how I can help you. And he sent the person politely on their way. Because so often, we don't, we're not ready to receive the Word of God. 
when Solomon is talking about receiving it, it, that is, we must be ready to receive it, convinced that the Word of God is the source of all wisdom and understanding. And if we come to the Word of God in that way, it can speak into our lives. If we come to it from the perspective of, I'm just going to question it, I'm not really sure, well, let me see what it says, and then I'll think about it and talk with some other people and decide whether or not I'm going to go in that direction, well, then you're never going to learn the way of wisdom. And you're certainly never going to walk in the way of wisdom. So the first thing is be ready to receive it. Secondly, he says, treasure up his commandments within us. It says, uh, my son, have received my words, treasure up my commandments with you. Now, there's two different ideas, I think, that can be communicated here. Number one is to hide God's word in our hearts. And that's simply, that is to memorize it. So that it's in there and ready when we most need it. So when we're in a circumstance, the Word of God can enter into our heart and into our mind, into that circumstance, without us having to get our topical Bible. Huh, I really want to curse this lady out. Let me see if I should, you know. We already know in our hearts that we shouldn't because we've already memorized God's Word. All right, so that's that idea. Psalm 119 says, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The New Testament, we have the promise that the Holy Spirit will bring these things to remembrance in the circumstances we face when we need them. But he can't bring them to remembrance if you've never learned them in the first place. And so this first idea about treasuring it up is the value of memorizing the Word of God. But we've all encountered, and I worked with a lot of young people over the years, we've all encountered the kids that have all the ribbons, and they memorized all the Bible verses, and they won all the contests, and they have all this head knowledge here, That head knowledge and those memorized verses aren't going to do you any good if you don't put them into practice. And so when those verses come into your mind, how will you respond? Again, or not again, but I'll give you an example. It's one thing to know the Bible says thou shalt not steal. It's another to recall that thing to mind and respond in obedience when you're tempted to steal. And too often we know the verses, but we don't follow through. Now the second idea of the phrase of treasure up my commandments, that is this, and that is... Uh, value them as if they're treasure. So it's a slightly different idea than treasuring it in our hearts, hiding it in our hearts, but it's to value it like it's treasure. And what do you do with treasure? You guard your treasure. You check in on your treasure to make sure it's where you left it the last time that you put it there. You pay attention to your treasure. Your treasure grips your heart, and it keeps you in it. I remember when I put some money in the stock market. Never cared before about the stock market at all, but now that I put a Five hundred dollars in the stock market. I was checking the newspaper. Remember newspapers? Those things they came to your house. I was checking them every single day to see how things were going. And so this idea is value it like a treasure. Value it like it's treasure. Don't have such little regard for God's wisdom that when it's time to apply God's wisdom, rather than just doing it, now you find yourself weighing out your options. That's not a mark of a person that treasures God's word and God's wisdom. The person that treasures God's word and his wisdom comes from, uh, that comes from knowing him and his word, and they're not going to weigh whether they will or they won't obey it. They'll just do it because they treasure God and his word. Third thing we read there is in verse 2. It says, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Attentive, the idea of allowing the word of God to have your attention. Now, here you are, you're on a Sunday morning, you're allowing the Word of God to have your attention. Do you do that Monday through Saturday? Are you allowing the Word of God to have your attention? You know, it's amazing how brief an hour of television can seem to me 
and how long an hour of prayer and Bible study can seem to me. It's amazing. The way of wisdom recognizes that the word of God is valuable and thus worthy of my attention. And it also means paying attention to it. And so whether you're reading the word of God and you come across something applicable to your circumstance or a wise brother or sister comes to you and speaks a word of truth from the pages of the word of God, do you pay attention to it when you hear it? And too often we hear of people asking for God's wisdom and then when his wisdom is given, their response is to ignore it. Typically to go and do the thing they wanted to do in the first place. That they were asking, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, do you think I should have this affair? No, I don't think you should have this affair. They know the answer already. But then they go right back, they want to seek the word of God, but when the word is given, the wisdom is given, they don't want to pay attention to it. You have to pay attention to it. If it's going to have any impact on your life, these things, if this path that you're going down that's going to bring you to this place that God wants to bring you to at the end of the life is your life is actually going to happen, then along the way you've got to stay on that path and listen to the words of wisdom, pay attention to them when they are presented to you. That's if you want to grow in wisdom. Fourthly, Solomon instructs us, he says, incline our heart to understanding. Some of your versions may say, apply your heart. The idea there is to commit yourself to knowing these things and for these things to take up root in your life. And so I'm sure many of us, maybe as parents we've said it, I know my parents said it to me at a particular point in time in my life, look, you have the ability, you need to apply yourself, they'll say. You just need to apply yourself. You need to focus in on what you're doing. You need to rely on that ability that you have. Solomon is saying, apply these things. You know about them. They're there, but you're not applying them to your heart and your life. To reference a phrase that I used in a previous study, we have to let these words enter in through our ear and sink down and take up residence in our heart, as opposed to what they so often do is they go in one ear and out the other. Solomon says, apply these things. So he said, receive wisdom, treasure wisdom, be attentive to wisdom, and apply yourself to wisdom. In verse 3, he says, cry out for wisdom. My version says, call out for insight. Call out for insight. That speaks of desperation. It speaks of an unwillingness to be content until that thing is yours. I think Jesus describes it this way in the New Testament pertaining to righteousness. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's this idea of crying out for it, calling out for it. It's a demonstration of the insatiable desire to not stop until it is actually theirs. And so with that, I ask this question, do you hunger and thirst for God's wisdom? Do I hunger and thirst for God's wisdom? Not as often as I should. Solomon says next, raise your voice for understanding. Now, it's a similar idea for calling out for insight. Here he says, raise your voice. And that raising of your voice could be in a variety of different ways. One way, certainly, that it is, is raising your voice in prayer. Letting your voice, your words, if you will, rise up into heaven. But it also speaks of simply raising your voice and asking another person. I have found there are times in my life where I don't want to ask someone, usually my wife, for what she thinks about a topic because I already know what she thinks about a topic and I want to go ahead and do it anyway. And I don't want anyone out there, a friend, a trusted this or that, to ask them because if they already, and I had somebody once tell me, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission or whatever. And that's in my heart. 
That's in the deep places of my heart. He says here, raise your voice. That could be as simple as reaching out to another brother or sister in the faith. All of that is part. You want wisdom, take steps to possess wisdom. If a person is really serious about obtaining wisdom, they will cry out for wisdom, or at the very least, they will reach out and ask for wisdom. And maybe they'll read a book on the matter, or they'll pick up a topical Bible. I don't know if you know what a topical Bible is. Essentially, it lists all the words alphabetically. You want to know a particular topic? I'm curious about pain and suffering. And you look up that particular topic, you go to the letter P, and you look it up, and it'll give you all the Bible verses on that particular topic. Nowadays, you can go on your computer and you can type in in the search bar that particular topic and you'll likely get what you need to get. If you want wisdom, pick up a topical Bible to research what the Bible says about that topic. Ask a trusted friend. Make it a matter of prayer before moving forward. These are all the ideas of crying out, calling out, uh, or as it says, raising your voice for wisdom. And if you call out to your friend, if they're a godly friend, they're going to point you to the pages of Scripture, and now you have to respond to that. James says this in the New Testament, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Make it a matter of prayer. Because the person who has wisdom or wants wisdom has access to wisdom. God's Word promises that. Now, there's two final imperatives in these couple of verses here. This is found in verse 4. I read it earlier. It says, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand. The idea there being do whatever it takes to get it. Whatever pains might be necessary for you to grow in wisdom, do it, that you might gain wisdom. The Bible uses phrases like this to describe our walk with the Lord. In Luke chapter 13, it says, strive to enter in. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, lay hold of eternal life. Grab it. You know, I think of someone trying to grab a a slippery fish or whatever and do whatever. We used to play sharks and minnows in the pool and the kid trying to come across or the adult trying to come across or whatever, and you're grabbing them. You're doing whatever you can to lay hold of it. It says lay hold of eternal life in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Corinthians 9 says run in such a way as to get the prize. Do you see them? All of them are describing you doing whatever it takes to gain possession of eternal life. Warren Wearsby said this, obtaining wisdom isn't a once a week hobby. It's the daily discipline of a lifetime. And I agree with him. Have you heard the story of Forrest Fenn? Anybody here? Forrest Fenn? Good, I can make it up. (laughs) Forrest Fenn, I'm not sure if he's dead or alive any longer, but he is an author, and when he was younger, he was the operator of an art gallery who over the course of his lifetime became very, very wealthy. And around the year 2000, he was diagnosed with what was supposed to be a deadly cancer. And so he came up with an idea that when he would be approaching the last few months of his life, he would bury a chest of treasure from his art galleries that would be valued over $1 million in the form of gold, precious gem, and pricey artifacts. And he would do so, you familiar with the story a little bit now? Some of you heard this? He would do so in the American Southwest, Arizona, the Grand Canyon, somewhere out in that particular uh, area. And he created a treasure map in the form of a poem, uh, and he just put it out there for anyone who wanted to read it. So some of you are going online now to to look it up. 
He finally buried, he didn't die in early 2000, he finally buried that treasure in 2010, and to date, no one has found the treasure. Though, according to Fenn, I don't know how he knows this, but according to Fenn, despite the treacherous uh, conditions of the location, that some have come within 200 feet of the treasure. Thousands of people, none in this room apparently, but thousands of people are searching for this treasure. And sadly, at least three people have died in their search uh, to, to climb the steep mountains or navigate the deep gorges or cross treacher- treacherous rivers. Somebody uh, in late spring just died searching uh, for this treasure. Solomon says to seek for wisdom in that way, to search for it as if it were silver, uh, to seek for it as if it were silver, and to search for it as if it were a hidden treasure. I can only imagine, what if we pursued the treasure of God's wisdom with the fervor of those that are seeking Forrest Fenn's treasures? And truly, too often, men show more zeal for acquiring material wealth than they do spiritual riches. And Solomon reveals it's when the quest for wisdom becomes the master passion of our life, controlling, conditioning all other interests that wisdom is found. And so again, I ask the question, do you seek and search for God's wisdom in that way? Or are you hoping you'll just pick it up over time? You won't. You must seek it out. Verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. Again, I pointed it out. Notice verse 1 says, If. Verse 5 here says, Then. If then. Do these things. These things that we have been talking about, receiving, inclining our hearts, paying attention to, seeking it as if it was a buried treasure, and then you will find the knowledge of God. Your search for God's wisdom will not be in vain because the Scripture promises those that anxiously pursue wisdom in this way are promised to obtain wisdom. Amen? It's a great promise. Verse 6 continues on. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, Excuse me, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Two things that we learn in verse 6, the opening phrase of this little paragraph. Number one is the Lord has wisdom to give. And number two, the Lord desires to give that wisdom. So he's not dangling it over you just above your reach to play with you. He wants you to have it. His desire is that we might know wisdom and make wisdom our own. And again, to quote the New Testament book of James, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. And then notice, he will give it generously to all without reproach. That's his desire, to grant you wisdom and to do so generously. That's what he wants to do. Now, a very important way that God gives us wisdom or gives wisdom to those that are seeking it of him, we see in the second portion of that paragraph, by shielding them, notice there, by guarding them, and by watching over them on the way that they should go. So Solomon says in verse 7 and 8, he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and watching over the way of his saints. That's how we get this Uh, sermon title, Wisdom Protects Your Path, that God dispenses wisdom in our lives by teaching us 
certainly how to think straight, how to evaluate things, how to discern truth from error, how to develop divine insight into things. But he also does it in the very simple practical way of shielding us and guarding us and keeping us from places that aren't going to do us any good. And so you hear people say, I don't know how I find myself in these predicaments. And you want to respond to them, well, what did you think was going to happen when you made your way to that keg party? What did you think was going to happen there? Don't go there, and you won't get drunk Saturday night. Don't go there, and you won't get involved in some of the things that people are getting involved with. Wisdom says, you know, I think you should sit that one out. And if you're ready to receive that, and your heart is inclined toward it, that you'll pay attention to it, you will sit that one out. I'd encourage you. We have a whole bunch of students going off to college. Your first three weeks are going to have a major impact on the rest of your school, your, your time in school, and more than likely the rest of your life. Choose wisely the places that you go. Isn't there a little book by that guy? Uh, oh, the places you will go. Who's that guy? Yeah, there you go. I got my wife crying again. Our son is going off to college. We're very happy for him. <laughs> As you incline yourself to wisdom and seek for it like buried treasure, verse 9 says, then you will come to understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. Soon, what you will begin to discover is that you have a life that is a marked change from when you relied on your own wisdom. And all of a sudden, you will begin to notice. It's almost as if you, you just kind of stop and you begin to look around at your surroundings. You will begin to notice your life has a lot less drama than it previously had. And you will see that your life is one that is becoming marked by righteousness and justice and equity. And the people that you are coming into interaction with are also people whose lives are marked by righteousness and justice and equity. And the reason is because wisdom has come into your heart and it's taken up residence there. And knowledge, as it says in verse 10, has become pleasant to your soul. You're becoming a different person. Because God and his word are changing you. You're being transformed by the decisions that you're making into the image of his dear son. How great is that? What treasure we have in the pages of this book. As you receive these things, as the very words of God, you begin to incline yourself to them, you pay attention to them, you seek after them, the Lord begins to change you. And before you know it, verse 11 says, discretion now, it watches over you. It says a few moments later, understanding now guards you. It keeps you from saying things that you will later regret having said. It keeps you from going places that you will later wish you've never gone. It keeps you from overestimating your own strength. I can handle it. And it keeps you from overestimating the intentions of others as well. It keeps you walking in a path. It guards you. It shields you. It watches over you on the way. More and more you begin to find yourself not, being, not having the need to be delivered out of the way of evil, let me explain you know, the, the phrase, oh, Lord, you got to get me out of this. You find more and more you don't have to pray that sort of prayer because now all of a sudden you're not even being in that place where you need to pray that sort of prayer because wisdom and discretion have kept you in the way. Those are the blessings of walking in the way of wisdom. Life doesn't become so hard anymore to walk the walk. 
It's not as difficult anymore when you're constantly fighting and battling because of the places that you have gone. Am I making any sense here? Okay, I, I'm not feeling it. I, I'm feeling like this guy. I don't know what he's talking about here. As we grow in wisdom, sound judgment begins to deliver us from the involvement from involvement with wicked men. Um, Solomon refers to him in verse 12 as those with perverted speech, he says there. Let me read it. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And so it uses that phrase, perverted speech. We, we have an idea of what the word perverted means. What Solomon intends the word perverted to mean here is twisted, warped, not just sexual, but it's twisted or warped or perverted from what it should be. And sadly, there are those that walk amongst us in society that not only rejoice to do evil for themselves, but take great delight in leading other people into evil. As Solomon says here, that in, he uses the phrase, their devious ways, in their deviousness and with their perverted words, they seek to lead other people astray. They seek to lead you astray, that you might join them in their wickedness. Now notice in verse 13, Solomon's solution. His solution is not to stand up to them and resist them, though there may be instances where you need to do that. But that's not really the solution that he gives. His solution is to be on a completely different path from them altogether. Because notice what it says in verse 13. It says, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. They're on the paths of darkness. Which path should you be on if you're walking in wisdom? You're on the path of uprightness. So they're way down there on the other end of the neighborhood. And you're over here. That's his solution. Walk in the ways of wisdom. And you won't have to deal with these shenanigans that are over here. Make sense? Walk in the way of wisdom. If you choose to walk in the way of wisdom, you very likely won't even come into contact with these individuals. You say, but I have to work with them. I have to do this. I have to do that. How am I going to reach them? All these sorts of things. Let me just throw this out there. Who's influencing who? whom in your relationships who's pulling whom up to a particular level or down to a particular level and yes you have to interact with people and you have to be polite and kind and hopefully have an opportunity to share the gospel but just be very careful because very quickly you can find yourself walking down their path even if it's in your thinking so a simple practical bit of advice for each of us seeking to walk in the way of wisdom be aware of this fact just be aware of this fact that there are those around you that don't want you to walk in the way of wisdom and make the choices that will as much as possible keep you from walking in that way of wisdom. Now there's a second person listed in these verses that Solomon warns his son about. In some versions, she's referred to as the strange woman. This is the lady that's down at the park with the birds perched atop her head and shoulders. We have a picture of her. You remember her from Home Alone? She's the strange woman. You want to be on your guard from her. Actually, no. Some, my version says the forbidden woman. Some of the versions will speak of the foreign woman. The idea there of strange is in the sense of something that you should not be familiar with. That's why some versions use the word foreign. Now, the context of these couple of verses in this passage make it clear that Solomon is speaking of the adulterous woman. She's the woman you shouldn't be having anything 
to do with, you should not be familiar with, the adulterous woman that is seeking to lead a man astray to violate both his and her own marriage vows. The evil men of the previous verses, they sought to deceive with their devious words. We looked at that. I drew your attention to that. This woman seeks to deceive with her smooth and flattering words. You're so strong. That's, that's my female voice. That's all I got, you know. Wow. You're such a good listener. I wish my husband was more like you. And then you go down that path. You know how I respond to that? Hey, good luck with that. See ya. And I run like Joseph. Nobody, nobody's saying, don't worry. Everything is good. Now, I, I do want to draw your attention. Look over to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. If you have a heading on the top of it, it speaks of warning about adultery. If you look at chapter 6, verse 20, warnings against adultery, if you have a heading. Chapter 7, verse 1, warning against the adulteress. So, and it goes on from that in other places in the book. Um, so there's going to be a lot of material dealing with this issue of adultery, and in, in this instance, against the adulterous woman. And so I'm going to kind of put aside that conversation until we get to those uh, chapters in a few weeks um, from now, because we are going to be looking at that. But let me just say a couple of things very quickly. Because this verse here, and the couple chapters that will follow are speaking of the adulterous woman. Remind yourself of this. Solomon is writing this to his son. And so I suspect if Solomon were writing these words to a daughter that he had, he would be warning her against the adulterous man. I don't think he can be an adulterous man, but the man of adultery. So this isn't just something for us men to be on our guards against. It's something that uh, both men and women need to be on their guard against. We'll come back to that a little bit more. The second thing that I'll draw your attention to is look where the way of adultery leads a person. Verse 19, it says, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. The path of adultery is the path of death. It leads to death. It's a path that destroys, that destroys marriages, that destroys families, that hardens souls, and that blinds a person. I mentioned Matthew Henry earlier. He said this, it's very rare that any who are caught in this snare of the devil recover themselves. So much is the heart hardened and the mind blinded by the deceitfulness of this sin. Having once lost their hold of the paths of life, they know not how to take hold of them again, but are perfectly besotted or infatuated and betwitched with those base lust. Now, with all sin, sin can be forgiven. And so there is forgiveness for the person that has committed the sin of adultery if, if the heart is not hardened over to the point where it will not seek forgiveness. But the damage, this side of heaven, for the sin of adultery is irreparable. Because once a husband or a wife has forsaken their vows and gone down this path, it is extremely hard to regain the right road once again. And so if you're playing around with it, you're flirting with that guy or that girl at work, just saying, eh, okay, you need to run from it. We're going to talk more about that sin in coming weeks. Let's finish up verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good, you will keep to the paths of the righteous. 
Solomon's instructions for his son, God's instructions for you and I, is if you want to live a life marked by wisdom, then you'll walk in the way of wisdom. You will keep yourself from the paths of unrighteousness. You'll be mindful of those that are looking to influence you, whether they be evil men or flattering women. Wisdom will not only keep you from the evil man and the strange woman, but it will encourage you to walk in the path with the righteous. And notice this, to keep walking in the path with the righteous. So again, to quote Matthew Henry, the path of the righteous are the paths of life, which all that are wise, having taken hold of, will keep their hold of. As Weersby said earlier, remember, it's a lifelong race, a lifelong journey. One final promise, 21, for the upright will inhabit the land. Those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So there's a pattern in this chapter. And that the pattern, it's a formula. If, you see that in verses 1, 3, and 4. Then, you see that in verses 5 and 9. And then in verse 21, the ending of the, the chapter, there's the word for, or some of your versions will have the word thus. If we receive God's words and obey them, then we will have wisdom to make wise decisions, and thus God will keep his promise and protect us. Solomon declares that the one that walks in the way of wisdom will inhabit and remain in the land. Notice he also adds, while the wicked, those that reject the way of wisdom, are cut off and rooted out. Righteousness and decency are rewarded in this life as well as the life to come. And at the same time, there will be consequences both temporal and eternal for those that walk in the paths of wickedness. Again, I I use this picture. It's as if there's a treasure map that is laid before us, a treasure map to the life that all of us want to possess, a life of peace with God and with others, a life of contentment, whether we are abased or we abound, a life that is free from guilt and remorse. And the, the map is laid right out there in front of us. Under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, Solomon has given us the path to take to come to that treasure. And it's ours to decide whether we will start out on that path and remain on that path until we come to the end of our days. The choice really is ours. Amen? Uh, may the Lord bless his word. May he cause it just to take up root in your heart. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.